Love you guys. Thrilled to be back worshiping together, about to get into God's word together this morning. Um, I'm going to pray again in just a minute as we prepare to dive into some passages from the second half of the book of Acts. We're going to be looking specifically at Paul when he entered this season of his life where um, he almost kind of gets caught in the middle of all these kind of political games that are being played. And on, on one level, you could view his circumstances and go, wow, he's just sort of a pawn stuck in the middle of this. And yet because of who he was and how he lived, he was way more than a pawn. In fact, he was able to speak truth and life to various levels of power and influence because he was submitted to God. And he was willing to live it out and speak it out boldly and with truth. And so we're going to talk about that together this morning. So let's just prepare our hearts. Let's invite Jesus to make this come alive in us. Um, I'm going to be up front with you guys. I'm going to hit one of our favorite topics this morning. It's going to be awesome. We're going to talk about politics. Doesn't that sound like fun? Everybody got real quiet. <laughs> They're like, oh, man. We're going to talk about politics, maybe not in the way you would expect. If you, if you immediately like clenched up and got nervous, good, you probably should be. I'm, ki- I'm kidding. Y'all got to know me better than that by now. Come on. All right. Well, listen, it's election season, and I just, I think it's not a coincidence that as we're reading through Acts, Paul spends all this time with all of these different leaders local political leaders, different factions that were opposed to each other. He gets to speak all the way at the highest level of government as he's taken to Rome. And I just, I was reading all that this week and I was like, Lord, this just feels so timely and important. So my hope is that we would see some things from Paul's example that would give us some direction in how do we navigate this stuff. And so I really want to talk kind of big picture. Um, I don't have a list of like, here's all of the hot button issues this election season and what you should think about each of them. I'm not doing that. I'm I'm approaching this from a big picture standpoint. How do we live this out? How do we wrestle through these things? And so that's where we're headed this morning. So the leaves are changing. It's everybody's favorite time of year. It's election season. That's where we're at. All right, well, let's, let's pray and invite God to give us some direction. I know I want and need his help this morning. And so let's invite him to come speak to our hearts. So Lord, we love you. Thank you that you are here and you are present, that you've been in our midst already. And Lord, we just invite you now through Paul's example, give us some direction, give us some hope, some encouragement. Um, Lord, if there's things you do want to kind of challenge and change in us, would you do that? Lord, if there's some places where you just want to encourage us to endure and continue on, may we do that too. But God, we want to hear from you today. And so would you come and speak? You are invited here. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, so for the first bit of this, I just wanna look at Paul and the situation he's in. I think you'll be able to grab some application from this, but then the last 10 minutes or so, I wanna get really, really practical with you guys and talk about how this applies to us right here, right now, today. So everything I'm covering, you could find from Acts chapters 22 through 28. And so if you've been reading along, maybe you're familiar with that already. If you want to go back and dive a little deeper than I'm going to be able to get this morning, I would just encourage you, you can read through those six or seven chapters there, 22 through 28. Um, Some of this even starts kind of, there's some preceding like warning that this is coming. You know, Paul is told, if you go to Jerusalem, you are going to be arrested. And so Paul knew what he was stepping into. 
Um, and so he heads to Jerusalem, and that is exactly what happens. And so this, it starts at this local level. He gets accused of something that's not accurate, but then once, once the Jewish leaders um, kind of grab him, this mob kind of grabs him and starts accusing him, he speaks up, and he gets in a different kind of trouble because he was willing to speak truth boldly about who Jesus is. And so this starts with like this Jewish mob in Jerusalem that gets, gets stirred up by some agitators and they kind of come after him. And so you can read about how Paul handles that in chapter 22, verses 1 through 21, okay? In those 21 verses, Paul gives his testimony. They grab him, they're mad about a specific behavior, they think he's inciting some problems that he isn't. He says, listen, here's my story. I was where you guys are. I was persecuting Christians. I've been a faithful, dedicated Pharisee. Like he laid out his story and then he talked about how Jesus rescued and saved his life and that he was now called to carry this message that doesn't contradict what we look back on and call the Old Testament, but it doesn't contradict their Jewish scriptures. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so Paul declares this boldly, even in the face of this huge mob that's against him. And then he goes so far as to say, I'm not only carrying this message, but I have been told that this message is now open to the Gentiles. They were really not happy about that. But Paul speaks boldly. So then in the midst of this madness, um, the local tribune, this is, a, this is a Roman ruler. You can maybe think of him as like a mayor or like the judge um, of that area of, of Jerusalem. And so he kind of half arrests Paul and half saves him <laughs> from getting attacked. And he says, we're going to have a hearing, a more formal hearing. And so now, instead of the Jewish mob, this large group of people, now we have the local religious leaders. And they come together along with this uh, local Roman leader, and, and again, Paul is kind of put on trial here, and there's already political stuff at work, right? You have this guy, he's not Jewish, he works for the Romans. And we need to understand something. The Romans are primarily interested in one thing. They want the territories that they rule to pay them taxes. This is about money. And so this guy's job is to make sure that that happens and to make sure there's no trouble. Just keep everybody peaceful and calm and quiet. We just, we want a region that is settled and that pays their money on time. That's all we really want. And so anytime there's trouble stirring up, his job is just how do we put out the fire as quick as we can? And so he, he leans into a political solution. And so he's learned that if I work closely with the influencers in this city, if we're aligned and I work with them, then we can kind of keep things under wraps and under control. And so he brings together the Jewish leaders, but even amongst those Jewish leaders, there's Sadducees and Pharisees. Now listen, we could get really in depth on all this. The simplest level, the Sadducees were a type of Jewish teacher and leader that did not believe in the resurrection. They, didn't, they, they believed when you died, your life was over. The Pharisees, on the other hand, believed in resurrection. And they believed in, in like, okay, we're going to answer to God one day. They believed in resurrection. So they had these political differences and they struggled with each other over power. And then they had to submit to the Roman rule and authority. So you have all of these power dynamics at play. And Paul gets brought in 
And what does he do? Does he try to make everybody happy? Does he try to just, I know they just want this problem to go away, so let me kind of figure out how to navigate this world with them? No. He speaks boldly. In fact, he's not even afraid to say, one of the main reasons I'm here is because I believe in the resurrection. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus is the one who gives us resurrection life. And so he doesn't play their game and make things easier. He makes them more complicated because now the Sadducees and Pharisees are at odds with each other. And so here's Paul navigating this mess. And here's the thing I want you to see this morning because it's going to set the groundwork for where we're going. That next night, after a couple days of turmoil in Jerusalem, Paul is still under arrest. His future is uncertain. It's in the hands of other people who have power. None of them agree except on the fact that they want Paul to to shut up and stop, and some of them want him dead. That's all they agree on. And so Paul has just spoken truth. He stood for truth. And in Acts 23, verse 11 now, it says this. The following night, the Lord stood by him. Don't miss that. Don't miss those little nuggets in the scripture. Paul boldly stood for Jesus. And the scripture affirms that the Lord was standing with him. There may be times in your life where you feel like you're standing alone. Where you're this, this lone voice. There's so few that even understand or relate. Maybe you're even mocked for places where you speak truth. But friends, we never stand alone. The Lord stands by us. And so that night the Lord shows up. He stood by Paul and he said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. If if you miss everything else, I want y'all to hear this. Paul was faithful and Paul was focused. He was faithful. Whatever situation he was put in, he knew what really mattered and he knew what he really stood for. His life was devoted to Christ and everything went through that paradigm. And so he was faithful for that to be his aim and he was focused He didn't get distracted off into other things. He said, this is why I'm here. This is the life I've been called to. Here's who Jesus is. And look at what the Lord does. He recognizes that Paul has faithfully used the areas of influence the Lord has put him in. And so he says, guess what? Your area of influence is about to increase. You're gonna be able to speak to some other places you haven't spoken to yet because you've been faithful where I put you. Friends, the same thing God says to Paul, he would say to you and I. He's calling us to be faithful people who are focused first and foremost on him and his kingdom. And if he can trust us to live like that and speak like that right where he has you, then who knows what doors he may open down the road. But it starts right here. What relationships do I have? Whose lives do I have some influence that I can speak into? Who are my neighbors? Who are my friends? Who are my family members? And I'm not gonna get caught up in a bunch of other nonsense. I've got that clarity of focus that 
whatever's going on in the world around me, whatever might be happening just in my neighborhood, whatever might be happening in my city, in my nation, that the reality is there's another kingdom with an eternal king. And that's what I'm about. And that's what I belong to. And so I'm gonna be faithful and focused. And in every opportunity Paul was given, he shared the testimony and the gospel of Jesus. So things move forward. And so this local guy realizes, man, things are beyond me. This is getting out of hand. There's trouble stirring. He finds out about a plot to kill Paul. And so he sends Paul to the Roman regional governor. So he's kind of moving up the line now. And this governor over this whole region, Felix, he's sent to him. And Felix says, hey, these Jewish leaders have a complaint against you. They can come see me and we'll sort this out. And so again, Paul is before Felix and the Jewish leaders are also there present. And again, Paul has an opportunity to speak. And I want to give you just a, a tad bit of this, the flavor of this, because he says something important to this person that is in a place of power and authority. He says something important. Check this out. This is now Acts 24, verses 14 through 16. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, that was one of the, the titles given to early Christians. They were people who, who were living according to the way. This is not a Mandalorian reference, although if you're into that show, I'm with you. Um, but they were called the way. And so he's referencing that, all right? So this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, here's the reality. I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets and having hope in God, which these men themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Do you hear what Paul's saying here? In, in every situation, these can be really just normal, everyday, practical things. They can be big picture political issues and um, policies. But Paul's saying, in light of all of these things, we need to live with this understanding. There will be a day where we stand before God. And how we have lived here matters. What we stand for and how we operate, it matters. And he's speaking to a person in power and taking this opportunity to say, bro, you should consider how you're living, how you're leading, because you answer to somebody. And that's the real king. And you're gonna have to give an account for the kind of person you have been, the kind of leader you have been. And then Paul gets real and he says, listen, this is what I'm striving to do. And so as I'm navigating my life, I reference God in heaven and I consider how I interact with my fellow man because I'm gonna stand before him and so I want a clear conscience with him. And so how I represent him and how I interact with people around me, I'm gonna give an account for that. And so I do my best to live with a clear conscience. It doesn't mean he's perfect, but that is his aim, to have a clear conscience before God and men. And so Paul is, again, referencing this higher kingdom that we answer to. One or two more examples. Um, this, this guy, Felix, after hearing Paul speak, um, he's kind of, he's both impressed by him, but he's also very nervous about the political implications, again, 
of what if I release this guy? If I release him, the unrest that's going to happen in Jerusalem, the problems that it's going to cause me politically if these Jewish leaders are against what I do. And so he kept Paul in prison for two years. He was intrigued by Paul, though. And so the scripture now records what happens during these next couple of years. Check this out. This is now uh, chapter 24 still, verses 24 through 27. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. There's there's just a good baby name for any of you guys that are considering. Um, His wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. (laughs) He talked about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Listen, he connected in a practical way deeper spiritual truth with how I live my life. Friends, when you hear me or another pastor or a Christian leader say like, hey, in the political realm or how we live our lives, like let's keep the main thing and let's talk about the gospel. Sometimes we think that means avoiding issues. It means not talking about hard things or it means leaving God out of politics and just only repeating like the basics of Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, give your life to him. The gospel message is that Jesus did all of that So I could live in a daily relationship with him where he's king and I'm not. And the way I live in this world forwards his power and his influence. So deeper spiritual realities affect everyday life. They affect how I treat people, how I think, how I vote. They affect the way I live in this world. And I'm called to live rightly. That's what righteousness means. I'm called to live with self-control. Y'all, that is hard to do. Maybe it's just me. But there's things I see and things I hear and conversations I get in or because of social media, I just observe things people throw out into the world. And self-control becomes very necessary often in my life. But Paul says, live rightly. Live with self-control, like keep the main thing the main thing. And he says again, there's coming judgment. He's constantly referencing power. That's what judgment's about. Who's in charge? And Paul lived his life with the understanding that the true power in this world does not belong to any man-made institution. Those have places of power, places of influence. They matter but they all answer to a higher power and authority. And he used his voice to speak that truth. He lived that way and he spoke it into other leaders' lives. Felix was alarmed and he said, go away for the present. (laughs) I need a break from what you're speaking. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. I love these little insights and nuggets. He's playing politics. He wants Paul to grease his palm and then he'll let him go. And so he sent for him often and conversed with him. You have to know, Paul knew what this guy really wanted. But he just said, I'm not playing those games. I'm not gonna be drawn into your political games. 
I answer to him. And I'm going to live like that. And every opportunity you give me, even if you're just fooling around and playing a game, every opportunity you give me, I'm going to speak truth and hope into your life. And Paul did. And so for two years, this continued. Those two years elapsed. Felix then is now out as governor and Festus steps up. I want to move quickly through the rest of this. Um, This new governor replaces Felix. He's got to figure out what to do with Paul. Um, Paul appeals to Caesar. He knows if he just sends me back to Jerusalem, it's just a matter of time till um, the Jewish leaders figure out a way to kill me. And besides that, the Holy Spirit's told me I'm supposed to go to Rome. So he appeals to an even higher authority. He says, I want my case to be tried before Caesar. And so, man, that that is some boldness right there. And so Festus is like, okay, that's great, but like I have to have a reason to send a prisoner (laughs) to Caesar and I'm not feeling like there's a whole lot here against you. What do I do? And so we see another political game be played. And now this governor, brand new governor, calls in King Agrippa, all right? Now, to just give us a sense of what's happening here, remember when Jesus is being put on trial, There's Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman ruler and governor in that season, putting him on trial. And Pilate sent him somewhere for a minute. Remember, he sent him to King Herod, okay? King Herod had a figurehead position. He was a Jewish king that was given that position by Rome. And again, it was this political way to just sort of maintain some control. But he was mostly a figurehead. He answered to Rome. But he was given the title of like the Jewish king. Agrippa is now in that same line, okay? So this is a little bit further into history here. And so King Agrippa, Jewish figurehead king instituted by Rome, he's been the king for a little while now. Brand new governor brings him in. And again, there's this political thing at work here. And they bring Paul. And so what does Paul do? He goes, man, I now have an opportunity to speak to like the leading Jewish leader in this community. And I know that he knows the Old Testament. And so I'm going to appeal to him. And so as he begins to lay out again his testimony to these guys who hold the power to release him or not, he knows they're preparing to send him to Rome if they have good reason to. And again, he gives his testimony, he speaks the truth, he unpacks this really detailed sermon almost. You could check it out in chapter 26, verses 1 through 29. And as he's summarizing everything he's saying, Festus now looks at Paul and he says, you're out of your mind. (laughs) You're too smart for your own good is literally what he says. You're so intelligent, you're going crazy now and you don't even know what you're talking about. This is the outsider's perspective. But Paul presses in, check this out. Chapter 26, verse 25. Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not worried about being considered crazy, spiritual, too spiritual for my own good. I'm speaking truth. I'm not ashamed of it. I am laying out the facts about who God is. Verse 26, for the king knows about these things and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. He knows about Jesus and he knows everything that's been going on. And then he talks directly to him. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets 
I know that you believe. Man, that is, he is like on trial where you get asked questions that you're supposed to answer to defend yourself. And he turns it around on the guy asking the questions. And he says, do you believe? Forget that I'm on trial. You're gonna answer to God one day. Do you believe this? And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, you would persuade me to be a Christian. Or other translations say, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. He's blown away by the courage and the, and the, the power of what Paul is saying. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. No matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, Paul is saying, I am living for my King Jesus and I care about the people around me. And I recognize that the real answers to the real problems this world faces, they're found in Jesus. That's where the real answer lies. I'm not gonna hide from that. I'm not gonna run from that. I'm gonna speak that truth because people need that truth. People need hope. And our God has the answers. And so that's Paul's heart. Last bit of this, just so that you know where the story goes. He goes on to Rome. He gets there and after just a few days in Rome, he puts out an invitation to the Jewish leaders in Rome. He's trying every opportunity he can to share Jesus. And he invites them together. And I just, I wanna read the last few verses of Acts. He, he lays out to them the gospel. Some are kind of receptive to it. A lot of them are questioning and skeptical and resisting. And then he just lets them know plainly, like there's a reason the gospel is being sent to the Gentiles. Your, your hearts are resistant to this. Isaiah, the prophet, warned you about this in advance. Be open to Jesus. And so the book of Acts ends like this. Therefore, let it be known to you that the, that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And when he said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. He's, he's in captivity in Rome, but at his own expense is paying for his lodging. <laughs> and he would take anyone who would come. And what did he do? Did he plead his case? Did he try to get out of it? No, all who came to him he preached the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. I don't want to get off on a huge tangent here. I think there's lots of reasons why we should consider voting certain ways. But one of the things that concerns me about a lot of Christians right now is is under the guise of faith, we're letting fear dictate how we're supposed to think and operate. And, and by the way, that's happening on both sides of the aisle. We're told to be so afraid of what might happen here that therefore I must do this. Well, I may still do that, 
but I'm not going to reach that conclusion because I'm afraid, because I'm being bullied into fear. Paul is sitting here through this entire time, years and years, in chains, and yet never was his voice silenced, and never was he unable to live his life to glorify Jesus Christ, and never was he unable to speak the truth. Because until your voice is literally silenced, you can speak hope, you can speak truth, and you can live your life for Christ. I I pray the day never comes, but I think it is vitally important that as followers of Jesus, we are prepared to live in any set of circumstances. Do I want to see our freedoms protected? Absolutely. I don't want to throw that away lightly. But what I'm saying is, that's not our final hope. And if somebody else is in charge and it begins to become very difficult to be a Christian in this country, I need to be ready to live like that. That's what I'm getting from Paul here. And that's what we're called to. Our allegiance is to Jesus' kingdom. And our motivation is the salvation that comes from him. In my own life, and recognizing that's what others need. So, let's get practical. Application. How does this affect our world of politics today? All right, I want to just give like kind of three categories here. All right, and this is not this complete in its entirety. This isn't everything, but I just, I want to give us a sense of like how do we function in this. So, as Christians, how do we approach politics? Number one, Jesus' kingdom first Foremost, always. Jesus' kingdom, first, foremost, always. That's how I should live. Therefore, that will affect my politics. (laughs) If I live that way, then it will affect how I operate in all facets of life, including my politics. Therefore, whatever platform or influence I have, if it's a small platform, if it's a big platform, if that changes over time, I use the same mindset. This is a decision we have to make in our hearts. Is my life going to be guided by kingdom principles? And, And not just the principles of God's kingdom. Is my life being guided by actual real obedience to what Jesus is saying to me today. So when I face a decision, when I face an action point, when something comes up that I I need to respond to in some way in my life, is the the filter, my decision-making filter, is it through the lens of Jesus' kingdom first and foremost? How does this align with who God is? How does this align with what he wants to do in this world? Now, this might sound obvious to you guys, but for far too long on either side of the aisle, we can just settle into these grooves where I just assume if there's an R there, I agree with those things. Or if there's a D there, I agree with those things. And without even realizing it, we've let that be the guiding thrust. Listen, If I lean R or I lean D, that should be influenced by kingdom. It should be influenced by Christ. And so even if I continue to be a little more aligned with one party than the other, the first thing I should do is not be against that party. I should be going, is where I'm at aligning with Christ? 
and where I have voice and influence, will I strongly push for it to align with Christ? Am I willing to contradict my party for the sake of Christ? Does this make sense? Like, I can't just blindly go, if, if that's where that policy is, then I just must be that because I just always vote that way. You may end up finding yourselves often voting with one party or the other. But each time, each opportunity, kingdom first. I'm a part of his kingdom. What, it, what does he say about all of these issues? Where are we right on? Where are we off track? Let's push for those things. So kingdom first. Secondly, our action and our communication. So now it gets real, right? I have to live in this world. So I need to consider what I speak about and how I speak about it. I need to consider what I say and how I say it. Paul, while in Rome, doing what we just read in Acts, while in Rome, writes several letters, but he writes a letter to the Colossians. Remember his entire backdrop that we just read through. And then he writes this to the Colossians, chapter four, verses two through six. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So even if things are bad, stay steadfast in prayer and be thankful that God's got it. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. And what is Paul wanting? That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul is saying, you pray for the circumstances you're in and you pray for other believers like me for the circumstances we are in so that we can speak clearly in any circumstance to any issue that I may speak clearly how God sees it. And so, and so we pray before we talk. So the, then we can talk rightly. Verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Consider that there are people that are not gonna have your perspective. And so think about how you're gonna communicate with them. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. Oh, so how do we communicate with people that are outsiders that disagree with us? Graciously. Seasoned with salt. That means it's, it's appealing, it's appetizing. Even if they disagree with you, suddenly they're a little more curious about where you're coming from because of how you, how you communicate. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Man, that is important. So I know how to stand on each issue? No, so I know how to communicate with each person. It's this real person right here in front of me that I have an opportunity to communicate with. How should I communicate with them? I need to pray about it. I need to ask God to give me clarity and wisdom so I communicate clearly, and I, and I, I need his help to speak graciously. Not, I have an opportunity to score a point. I get to land a punch. This is how we are called as believers to communicate and to act in this world. Pray regularly, speak the gospel clearly, consider outsiders, speak graciously. That's how we communicate. This should lead us to action. Listen, if we are kingdom focused and we are fueled by prayer, so I'm praying through 
how do I handle different situations, different circumstances, then it should lead to action. Guys, I want you to think about this. Our politics don't need to just be shouted on social media or just kept to the voting booth. It doesn't have to be just total silence. There are healthy ways to communicate, and at times we might be compelled to act. Listen, friends, there are things happening in this world. There might be things that get lumped in with politics. It's on the list of things we're voting about. But many of those issues, they need real-life, hands-on Jesus solutions. And if I find myself saying, this is an issue that resonates with my heart, then maybe a prayer point should begin to be, God, are you calling me to act in some way in that realm? We'll hear from a ministry that Julie is a part of at some point. We had wanted to schedule it much earlier in the year, and COVID. But the ministry she's a part of is an example of doing something real and tangible and practical to minister to people who have gone through the process of an abortion. It's Jesus' hands and feet ministering love and grace and healing and forgiveness and reconciliation. It's being Jesus in the world because I'm going beyond an issue and I'm seeing the person. But we shouldn't be compelled to act because we've been bullied into it or manipulated into it. Our emotional strings have been pulled. It should be motivated by being kingdom-minded and being prayerful about those issues and let God initiate it. There are a lot of things I care about. I can't be involved in all of them. I can pray for all of them. I can, I can vote on some of them. But there are times where God will lay something on my heart because I've been thoughtful and prayerful and kingdom focused and he'll compel me to act. And if guys, if he's initiated it, he'll be all over it. He'll empower you to do something that feels beyond you because he's with you and he's for you. And by his grace, he'll empower you to act. So that's when we should act. And that's how we should speak. Last thing, and we'll wrap things up. So there's kingdom first mentality. There's action and communication that comes out of that kingdom first mentality. And then there's just decision making. Like there's just, it comes down to, man, it's time for me to make a decision on something and to vote. What do I do? The first thing I would encourage you guys to do, as practical as I can be, pray through the ballot. I have been convicted of this throughout this season, where I've just felt this impression of the Lord of like, how much have you even really prayed about these people? Are you praying for them? Are you praying about how you should vote, or have you just already leapt to the conclusion of you think you know how you're going to vote? Pray. Pray through the whole ballot. We can get so wrapped up in the noise. Listen, I'm not saying the presidential election isn't massively important, but there's a lot more on the ballot than that. When we're voting, guys, let's consider things at the highest level down to the most local level. I've told Amy, as we've been talking through the last few months, I'm like, man, I'm guilty of, I've been very little involved in local politics over the course of my adult life. I don't I don't even know that I pay that much attention to them. Guys, that affects more of our daily life than what happens at that big national level. You vote at the local and state level, it has massive implications. We're seeing that as we're walking out life in the COVID realm. We're seeing some of the practical ways that matters. So let's prayerfully consider what's on the ballot. Okay, so Jake, I'm gonna do that. I wanna prayerfully consider what's on the ballot. How do I approach that? 
If, if, if I warned about one thing that frustrated me about the church related to the fear, being pushed by fear, here's the other thing that bothers me in the church is this idea that we can set the person aside and only focus on the policies. That is wrong. That is not biblical. It is not gospel. We are voting in a person to lead and who they are matters. The policies they carry are important, but how they lead in a variety of circumstances, because we can't predict what circumstances we'll be in. How is that person gonna lead in that circumstance? And so what do I consider? I consider both things. I consider the person and I consider the policies. So really practical, when I'm considering the person, two ways you can consider a person, all right? And this is any leader, honestly. I consider their character and I consider their competency. Are they qualified for the job? And can I trust them to do that job with character? Now, I realize that we are always voting for broken people. And I realize that there are times you're going, man, I don't even know if I like the answer to any of the questions related to any of my options when it comes to character or competency. I'm just telling you, this is our starting point. I, I am considering the person who they are, how they carry themselves, their, their character, and their ability to do that particular job. I consider that. And then I also am prayerful about the policies. What are the policies that are on the ballot? What are the policies they can actually impact? That's a big question to answer. They might be saying all this stuff, but in that position, in that office, what can they actually impact? What does that role actually accomplish and then how does that line up with kingdom values and kingdom purposes? Is this making sense? So, person, policies, and then friends, I want to encourage you guys, go vote. For as long as we have the freedom and ability to use that, we should use that opportunity. Whether it's an election season where you're thrilled and you know exactly who you're voting for and you can't wait to get in there, great. If it's an election season where you're frustrated, uncertain, listen, let's approach this with a kingdom mindset. Let's be prayerful. And guys, let's, let's do our civic duty. Let's utilize the area of influence we have. It's where we started. That little vote, it matters. And it's a place where I have influence so I can vote how I feel compelled to vote following Jesus. And where, where I feel compelled to speak and where I feel compelled to act. I'm gonna do it prayerfully, I wanna communicate clearly, and I'm gonna be gracious as I do it. Amen, somebody? Amen. All right. I think maybe we ought to pray. What do y'all think? King Jesus, thank you for your unshakable and eternal kingdom. Thank you that you never cease being on the throne. Jesus, this side of heaven, would you help us daily, regularly, consistently to choose to be kingdom people, that our lives would be submitted to you, that we would obey you, and God, in every aspect of our life, including our politics, that we would let you be king first, foremost, and always. 
God, I pray over my, my own heart, my own mind, and my friends. God, would you give us wisdom and guidance as we navigate this current season we're in and many more that will come. Lord, would you help us to navigate this season well, to speak where we should speak, to be silent where we should be silent, and always to speak clearly with kingdom focus and faithfulness and with grace. God, help us to act where we're called to act. If, if you put something on our heart where we are to participate in our own community, May we do it initiated by you and empowered by you, by your leading. God, give us wisdom and insight in how to vote. May we go do it and exercise that right. And God, we pray for our city in Jesus' name. God, we pray over this county that we live in. God, we pray over the state of Tennessee and the United States of America. We pray for the current leadership we pray for those who will be our leaders soon. God, would you grant them wisdom and grace in Jesus' name? God, would your will and your purposes be done? And ultimately, Lord, in this city and in this country, would the residents here become citizens of heaven? And may we live like that more and more. God, would you revive your church to truly be your church first and foremost, to be your people first and foremost. Bring revival where we need revival. Bring repentance where we need to repent. Bring boldness where we need boldness. Give us grace where we need to be giving and extending grace and mercy. May people's lives be changed. May this world be changed. And may you receive all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.